Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast. It's a podcast for people who want to succeed and thrive at work while they have kids. My name is Tom Spiegel. I'm with the Spiegel Law Firm, where we represent people who've been wrongfully fired or afraid that they might be. And I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Lori Mahalik-Levin, who has a really groundbreaking program called Mindful Return. And I will turn it over to you, Lori, to talk about that and introduce our guest today. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Mindful Return is a program that helps new parents transition back to work after parental leave, and a whole number of employers use it to help their employees make a successful transition back. Today, we are featuring dads in the performing arts. As you probably know, if you've been tuning in, uh, each month we've been focusing on a different industry or sector and then talking to working moms and working dads in that sector. And we had an opportunity recently to speak with some amazing working moms in the performing arts. And today we've got two really impressive working dads who have come to speak with us. Um, I'd like to welcome to our show, Jeremy Chernick and Jerry Rapier. I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them, and then we'll turn it over to them to tell their working dad stories. So Jeremy Chernick designs special effects and lives in Brooklyn. Jeremy has worked on over 50 Broadway productions and on hundreds of non-Broadway shows, operas, dance productions, and live events. Recently, Jeremy's worked on Town, Oklahoma, Frozen the Musical, Beetlejuice, and is currently in production for Dragon Spring Phoenix Rise, which will begin public performance at The Shed in New York on June 22nd. He's dad to Harry, who is 10 years old and in fourth grade, and dad to Walsh, who is eight years old and in second grade. Jeremy is also husband to Anna Catherine Rutledge. Welcome, Jeremy. We're delighted to have you here. Thanks. It's so nice to be here. Great. Um, I also want to welcome to our show Jerry Rapier, who is a Gaysian with a family and a theater company. He served as the artistic director of Plan B Theater Company in Salt Lake City, Utah, since 2000. And Plan B is the only professional theater company in the country producing full seasons of new plays by local playwrights. And Jerry's the only person of color leading a professional arts organization in Utah. Jerry has served on the National Board of Governors of the Human Rights Campaign, and he's a recipient of Salt Lake City Mayor's Artist Award in the Performing Arts. Jerry and his husband, Kurt Bateman, who've been together for 23 years, married legally in New York since 2011 and in Utah since 2014, are the proud parents of six-year-old Oscar, who's incredibly proud that he is six and proud that he has lost six teeth. And I know exactly how important those each individual tooth loss is there, Jerry. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Jerry, let's kick it off with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your working parent story, generally speaking? Well, in so many ways, I'm incredibly fortunate because I am in charge of how parents can interact with our company. And I'm an older parent. I'm 47 right now. So I was 41 when Oscar was born, 42 actually. And he changed a lot of things for us. The managing director of our company, Cheryl Clough, she had two children who were four and six years old at the time. And Instantly, I didn't really get what she was having to navigate to help run our company until like the second my son was born. I figured out a whole lot of stupid things I was saying and a whole lot of things I wasn't quite understanding. And combining our experiences from that moment on, I was really late to the party to understand it. But we really focused on from that moment forward, making our company a lot more parent-friendly. Because we live in a community and work in a community where most actors have to have a second job to make a living. And so we're far more cognizant of that. And I, now that we both have children, understanding the demands that are placed on performers with kids, actors with kids, artists with kids, and that those having children shouldn't restrict their ability to be involved with the company. Yeah, there are definitely some things that are hard to grasp until you're actually in the throes of them. You know, you said having the second job was one thing that's fairly common. How would you describe what it's like to be a dad in the performing arts these days, if you could generalize? There is 
a lot of opinions about people having children in the arts, frankly. And I think less so here in Salt Lake City than there might be in other places. We happen to have the largest average family size in the United States. We There are a lot of people with kids. And, and we also have, in this crazy way, the largest, just the most recent report from the National Endowment for the Arts revealed that Utah is also the state that patronizes the arts the most. And the reason for that is the culture here really supports people being involved in the arts. The complication comes making that transition from a community-based sharing your talents through school and church and other activities into understanding that it can also be a profession. And sometimes it's difficult for people to make that leap and therefore to accommodate the need for people to either be able to focus in a professional rehearsal setting or understanding that there might be a need for some support to make it possible for people to step away from their family responsibilities to focus on art as a profession. Jerry, you said that there are people who have a lot of opinions about having children in the performing arts. And I'm just curious, what are some of those prevailing opinions? Well, you know, honestly, an example would be to kind of set the stage for this. My, We have a godson who's now 15. And my husband and I, particularly my husband, but we both had a lot of opinions about how things were going when he was from the time he was born until he was eight or nine years old. And we've shared them freely. And his parents would just nod and smile. And now I know what they were thinking, because literally the moment our son was born, my husband stepped out in the hallway and called our godson's mother and said, I'm so sorry for everything I've ever said to you about how you raised your son. Because we didn't get it, really. We didn't get that it's not so easy just to get a sitter. We didn't get that it takes a lot of support and a lot of juggling of schedules to be able to make a day job and then attend a rehearsal. Or even if you don't have a day job and you're, you know, your only employment is the performing arts, to juggle a schedule that is not traditional hours in any way and the needs of your child. And I was just completely, I thought I understood and I thought I was being, you know, a hardline professional with my expectations of people and of myself until I had a kid and realized that it's a lot more complicated and accommodating the needs of parents makes the work that we do better. And so I'm a perfect example of the prevailing attitude. I think of a lot of people in the arts, there are people within our field that feel like you need to choose a career or you need to choose a family. And I was one of those people for a while, but now I just look around and I just can't believe I ever felt that way. And we're really fortunate to have a lot of artists working with us regularly that do have families. And what I found is accommodating their needs and working around things as we can makes mm. the work that they're able to do richer which makes the work that our company does richer. So rather than alienating parents or turning a deaf ear to specific needs, we realized that listening truly, as in most scenarios, listening is what makes the difference. I really wish there are theater companies across the country that are starting to offer childcare, either for uh, rehearsal, for those involved in productions, or for patrons attending. And I am actually kind of shocked. We're a very small company, so we don't really have the resources to do that. But I'm, I'm mm. surprised in the state that we're in, in the culture that we're in, that there isn't a company here yet offering that. I hope it's coming in the, down the road. I think it's a lot more useful than a ticket discount. Yes, you've got a big logistical component figured out for you when you've got childcare there. And uh, thank you for raising the idea that working with the constraints of the working parents can actually enrich the entire experience. I'm a huge advocate for the belief that the skills and 
strengths and leadership qualities that we gain in working parenthood make us stronger in our non-parenthood jobs and make us better at what we do. So really appreciate your echoing that as well. Jeremy, I want to turn it over to you to hear a little bit about your working parent story. How did it begin for you? So I had been working well before having kids. I am also an older parent. I'm 48 and I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old. And so I had been living this life of a very single-focused, career-driven, and then fun and, you know. (laughs) But basically, uh, my schedule was my schedule, so I was able to work like a maniac. And my work, even now, involves a lot of travel. So my work in the theater, in general, involves everything up to the point that the show is open to the public. So I am in a constant state of production, meaning putting together the show, and then I move on. And those periods, the technical periods, are the most time-consuming and the most stressful, often, of the experience of making theater. So I go from sort of one stressful environment to the next, as my normal work life. And the other thing about that is that the hours of doing that are generally, in some cases, 8 a.m. to midnight, six days a week. Some days it starts a little bit later, but often those the hours are massive and the days are, you know, we don't get the same days off as civilians. And in a lot of ways, I've talked to other parents and other people who work in the theater. And they really talk about, you know, when you come off of months of work like that, that it's almost like coming home from the army, or other types of environments where you're away for a really long time. And so when my son was born, it just so happened that I was working on a musical version of Adam's family, and it was in Chicago. And at that point in time, and this is, I think, a good example of how much has changed. And Jerry brought up like how supportive his company is. And I think that there are a percentage, small percentage of theaters in the United States right now that are really working on this change. But at the time, my wife and a newborn came out to Chicago with me. But that was almost like a secret because no one wants to know that I can't come in until X amount of time because it would be great if my wife got like a short break on her maternity leave to just like go for a walk or anything like that. And so it was sort of funny that I did bring my, at that point in time, nine month old into rehearsals once everything had calmed down and everyone, and many people there were like, oh, it's so nice you came to visit for the weekend when they had been there for a month. And so in some ways being a parent, I think back then, 10 years ago, was almost like, this sounds sort of sad, but it was almost like a dirty little secret. And I've recently been on some other panels about being a parent in theater. And that has changed or is in the process of changing. And it isn't solved by any means, but it is nice to know that there are communities of people who are at least acknowledging that they're parents and that they might have real life responsibilities outside of what is completely a pretend environment. And so that was sort of the beginning. But over the last 10 years, I've just become much more honest and vocal with the people that I work for because I work for different people all the time. I'm constantly working with different companies like a freelancer. So by being super honest and open about the realities of the fact that I have two children, that I don't want to be out of town for six weeks without any way to visit with my kids has really helped because when I think that when you ask for the things you need, it becomes a dialogue as opposed to it just opens. If someone turns around and just says, nope, we don't care about your kids. Get out of here. I'm not going to work for you, (laughs) you know, and no one says that because most people, even if they aren't particularly nice are not that mean, (laughs) But there are so but over the last 10 years, I think there's been a really big change. And part of that might be, you know, sort of in the theater, I think you end up meeting people that you click with and enjoy and you tend to work with those people more than once. So over the years, and especially, you know, in the last few years, if I work with a company that is supportive of me and and my family, that is a company that I would definitely work with again and again and again. 
And I'm also saying this as the dad figure in the relationship. And having been on some of these panels, I think that it's so complicated and the difference between how that has worked for the moms and the dads. So it's really just an interesting dichotomy about how open to families some of these companies are and how much work goes in depending on whether you're a dad or a mom and whether you're working and how you're working. I don't know how that translates. That sounded messy. Sorry. Feel free to say more (laughs) about that because I am curious, you know, to hear what you think the differences might be between the mom and the dad perspectives for people in the performing arts. Well, I, I think it depends on the job also. Because I sat on this panel a couple of weeks ago, the Women of Broadway panel, and it was a panel about being a parent in the theater. There were two dads and and a few moms there. And I think without question, sort of one of the great and complicated stories that I had heard was that one of the stage managers of Lion King, like years and years of time on the Lion King, began to, in recent years, because that show has been on for like 20 years, something like that, in more recent years, as the cast has matured, more and more cast members have become parents. And one of the things that they've instituted, which I was really was a pleasant surprise, was the rehearsals were now being scheduled around calling the some of the performers who have children, specifically moms, to find out their nursing schedules, their childcare issue schedules, and they were really working around the mom schedules as much as possible, which I thought was kind of amazing. And in hearing the list of things that they were working around, it was far more complex than my personal list. Uh, this has been fascinating, and it you know, reminds me of some of the things that I thought about what I knew about child rearing before I actually had children. I, I remember when I was, you know, I was a baby attorney, first year out of law school, and was working at a firm, and there was a partner there who was, you know, he was, he was probably 10 years older than I was, and he had triplets. He had three boys, and they, I don't know how they were at the time, probably three. And I was talking to him, and I was like, you know, we should hang out on the weekends. And he's like, you know, I'd, I'd love to. You know, I've got these kids, and it's hard to break away. And I was like, oh, why don't you just bring them? You know, bring them to Starbucks, and we'll, we'll talk. And he looked at me. I'll never forget this. He said, you are so naive. <laughs> <laughs> I was offended by it but at the time because I was, you know, I was 30. Well, I knew how the world worked. And I remember we had a laugh about later when I had my own children, how ridiculous that suggestion was, was that he bring his three toddler boys to a coffee shop and that we would have uninterrupted time to talk. So, you know, it's interesting what that life change will bring it in perspective. All right, Jerry, let me start with you and let me ask you, as you became a working parent, I know you're the boss, so you probably were able to make some changes, but were there any supports that you found particularly helpful as, I love the term, as you transitioned into becoming a working parent? Well, I'm just really resonating with so much of what Jeremy was saying, because people outside of the theater don't really necessarily realize just how many hours go into making what appears before an audience seem effortless. And before my son was born, I would work an 80-hour week and not think anything of it. Sometimes more than that, I would work. It just, especially with a small company, with a small staff, I'm really doing the job of two or three people. And so uh, we all are. And so I just didn't ever have any sort of limit on how much extra time I could put into making something happen. And the moment my son was born, I realized I had to make some big changes. And I didn't, I knew theoretically that that was coming, but I didn't know really in my heart what that was going to look like. And if it was going to impact how the health of the company and what kind of support I could expect. I'm, my situation is unique in that there are a lot of people in a lot of gay men, a generation, my age and older, that in a different world would have had their own children. And so in my particular case, there's this unbelievable support in the theater community here for me and my family. In many ways, my son has become their honorary child of many people who, gay men or not, a lot of women who felt like they couldn't, had to choose between career and having a family to make it in the theater, have just as well have 
develop this incredible relationship with my son. And so I had to make a decision. I'm also the, I'm the primary caregiver for him. And when I knew, I didn't really realize at the time what a big deal it was. Both my husband and I were running nonprofit or arts organizations at the time that we were matched with our birth mother. And we actually had to relocate. The laws are so different now than they were in 2012. We had to relocate to South Carolina for an indefinite period of time for our adoption to be finalized before we, not just for the birth of our son, but we had to stay in South Carolina until our adoption was finalized before we could return to Utah. The reason that that was the case is because the laws at that time, there were very few places in the country that gay two-parent adoption was legal. Utah was not one of those places. So what a lot of people have had to do historically, and of course no one has to do this now since the Supreme Court ruling in June of 2015 legalizing marriage equality, one parent would have to be the legal parent. The other parent had no legal rights whatsoever. And we decided, it took us 10 years to decide to have a family, and we decided we needed to do whatever we could to make sure that we could both be legal parents. And it just so happened, South Carolina was another state that didn't allow uh, gay two-parent adoption. It's where our birth mother lives. And she. it just so happened that there was a judge in one area of South Carolina that was retired, but she sat on the bench once every quarter to assist gay families in finalizing their adoption. She was a senior judge, and there was a loophole in the South Carolina law that allowed a judge to rule in the best interest of the child and supersede state law. So people from all over the country would come and have their adoptions finalized with this particular judge. And it just so happened that our birth mother lived in the state, so we relocated for the birth, and then we stayed for the finalization. I know that's a very long setup. The point of that was we both had full support of both of our boards to uproot ourselves, move across the country, and run our organizations remotely. And we were so caught up in the whirlwind of making that happen logistically that it didn't really hit us until we were at home in this temporary home in South Carolina with our newborn baby from the hospital and realized the the incredible network of people in this local arts community that made that possible for us. And when we returned with, with Oscar a few months later, we were able to really just feel buoyed by that port and it's an uh, we this is a place where you would not people that don't live here would not expect that kind of support to happen which is one of the reasons I want to tell the story is because you just never know until you ask what kind of support is available to you and it made me really realize how open I needed to be to accommodate the needs of other parents because no one has been more accommodated than us. And now it's crazy. My son has grown up and I oh, I just feel for you, Jeremy, so much because I fully understand the privileged position that I have, that I, if I was asked to sit on a panel or if I was asked to do an arts grant review, I'd say, you know, if you want me, that's great, but I'm going to come with a newborn baby strapped to my chest and I'm coming with all the stuff that that comes with. And if that's complicated, I understand. But the only way I can participate is if he comes with me. And so I've had the great privilege of being able to take my child to these crazy things that nobody else would think that a child would be able to be a part of. And if I had three, it would be insane. But having one, and it's his normal, he interacts with all of these arts professionals, like they're his buddies. And so an example would be, I just did an arts review panel for arts and education funding for our state 
Arts Council a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to be on this part of this planning committee for a national event that would highlight politics and art. And the arts panel I referred to was the next day. This particular event, which was a little more sensitive conversation, which was something that a child would not necessarily be appropriate to attend at all, not because of what we were discussing, but just because of the focus of the conversation. And I told the the Utah Division of Arts and Museums that I could, I would love to participate, but I didn't think I could because I needed to bring Oscar. And the, the facilitator said, just bring him. We love having him in the building. And when I showed up for this fairly intense conversation, they had blocked off an entire section of the conference room and set up an art station for him to make art while we were there. And he had a great time. Everyone enjoyed having him there. And then they sent him a thank you note for it coming that was filled with glitter because he had decided that the best art supply of the day was the glitter that they had provided. And I fully, I want to state again, I fully understand the privileged position that I am in to be able to state that my son needs to accompany me. But I do think it has had an impact. What people recognize is okay to offer people. It is, it's okay to accommodate the needs of people in an art form that is supposed to be reaching people of all ages. And what I found is my son has no idea that it's really, really amazing that in the studio next to down the hall from our office that he can walk by out of my office and walk by and these professional dancers will step out and dance with him in the hall. He doesn't get that that's something every other kid doesn't get to do. But being in the environment that he is in and me kind of pushing the envelope a little bit to say, hey, this is my son is part of me being involved, has opened the conversation to other people possibly considering that maybe the line doesn't have to be so harsh, so distinct between where children can be and where they can't. And of course, there are places where it's completely ridiculous for a child to be involved, like, you know, in Jeremy's position, particularly, you know, a late night tech rehearsal. But there are places where there's more room than we in our profession have allowed for in the past. And I think the more open we are and the more open people in my position are, the better it is for the art form. It exposes people to a, a different level of the work earlier in the process and might result in them seeking that as their careers. It's Jeremy. To jump off from what Jerry just said, since my experience all that time ago where I was you know, theoretically hiding the fact that I had a kid in town, now I actually will very openly and honestly ask for family support when I'm doing large scale projects that are requiring me to be away from my family or some ways hinder my life and my family's life. So a good example is if a large production is asking me to be out of town for an extended period of time and it's conveniently timed, which has happened, I'll say, hey, you know, you want me to be away for you know, four to six weeks in the middle of the summer. Well, I'll pay for the flights, but I would like a larger apartment for the time that I'm there because I am bringing the family and they are going to spend the summer wherever it is that I am. And I find more and more that people are okay with that, even if it is a small, you know, jump in what they're paying for the apartment or there's some contract negotiation that makes it just a hair more expensive I think that there are people and there are companies out there, I know that there are because I work for them, who are absolutely willing to give that little bit extra or to compromise in some way, even if it's not about money, if it's about time or it's about, you know, supports. It's so many little things when you're a parent and you're working in, in this industry that companies and individuals can do to just make everyone in all walks of life feel supported. And so that's really been the biggest change that I've seen. I also, you know, I will admit that I've worked for a Disney theatrical group a bunch, and they are very supportive of family. And they also have the finances to be able to put their money where their mouth is. And that's been great. 
I did Frozen the musical and we were in Denver for the summer. And like I said before, my wife and kids were there the whole time. And all it took was one little extra bedroom in the, you know, completely beige corporate apartment that they put you in. (laughs) And I know that that has a financial cost and I, I really appreciate it, but the experience for everyone was just so much better. And other examples are, uh, you know, I'll do a show that's out of town and and I'll just say, hey, you know what would be great. I'm going to be here for two weeks. But, you know, the Amtrak home is uh, two hours. And, uh, you know, would you mind paying for that trip home on the day off? And it would just make the entire process so much better so I could just be home. And people are much more willing to accommodate that now than they were a few years ago. And I can't honestly, I hope that that's because people are just more willing and more open. And I think as I have matured and grown older, the people around me have too. So I think more and more people have families and and want to support each other's families. But I also just hope that the industry has changed at the same time. Yeah, I think I think those are all excellent points. And you both raise, you know, bringing your kid to work, at least as Jerry describes, is completely different if I brought mine they would be bored to tears watching me sit on a laptop typing away. My second question, let me throw it to you, Jeremy, and then we'll b- bounce back to you, Jerry. You both talked about, you know, the, the importance of having a supportive, in terms of workplace accommodation, workplace changes, having a you know, supportive workplace for to bring your children to work. Were there any things that you thought that you would need as a new parent at work that it turns out that you didn't? This is going to sound super selfish, but no, I think that everything that I thought I needed, I needed. And then there were plenty of things I didn't think I needed that I also needed. So there was, you know, I think that that's, it's a funny question. And I think it's hard to remember every detail of 10 years of parenthood at this point. But I feel like anything anyone ever offered me in terms of like work family balance, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm doing it. I need it. <laughs> no, that's great. That's fine. Well, let me ask you this. For parents that are coming up behind you, and then I throw it back to you, Jerry. For parents that are coming up behind you, Jeremy, are there additional changes that need to take place within your field that would be helpful to new parents that you did not have? Oh my God. There are so many things, some of which I can speak that are not even for myself, but that I know are needed across the board. But I think that especially for actors, because you're not I'm not an actor and I don't think Jerry is an actor, but especially for actors who are have complicated rehearsal schedules, they have even more complicated audition schedules. So, you know, my understanding, an audition is basically working for free. It's endless job interviews over and over again. And dealing with childcare for that is incredibly hard. And then if you are a professional actor and you can't go on your job interview, then you can't get the job. And so there's this whole cycle of, I think, parents who are performers who just are really in a rough situation. So things that I've heard of that are not that complicated is or not that difficult is adding childcare to audition processes, adding some form of childcare options for rehearsal processes. I think that that's tremendous. And I don't, there are so many different ways that I think that that can be handled that I'm not an expert and don't even want to begin to recommend one way versus others. But I feel like those are the biggest things is that there are always parents who are working in the theater who have to work from X time to X time in a which is always random and always different every day. And so it's not like you can just say every day I need childcare from, you know, 9am to three. It's like today I need childcare from 9am to three tomorrow. I need childcare from 1pm till 9pm. And so the support of the community to add that sort of thing would be really, really amazing. And I know that many actors are in unions and the unions could be involved in, in that sort of support. The companies could be involved in that sort of support. And I know that smaller regional theaters across the country are beginning to add that if they find the way and the means. Yeah, that was an interesting, interesting observation that came through loud and clear also when we were talking in our previous episode with mothers in theater, that very issue, you know, of auditioning and the frequency with which actors have to do it. And it's, yeah, you're right. You got to get the babysitter. You got, you know, it's not just like you're applying for a one-off job, you know, every couple of years, it's pretty frequent. So 
It's interesting to hear you bring that up. Let me throw you back to you, Jerry, and ask you the same two questions. Were there first, was there anything as you became a new parent that you thought would be important to you in the workplace that was not? And then finally, the same question I asked Jeremy, you know, for parents coming up behind you, are there things that need to happen in the theater community to help them that you did not have? You know, to the first question, I honestly, I'm with Jeremy. Everything everybody offered, I thought was absolutely essential. And I didn't really realize how much support I would need, particularly as an, I'll be honest, that my age has impacted my ability to do certain things. I used to be like this incredible multitasker, and now I can do one thing at a time. And because my brain is completely, you know, so much of it is taken up with what my child needs to do. And I, and given that I'm the primary caregiver, I need to, I have to schedule my entire working life around what my son needs. And again, I'm really lucky to be able to do that. But I didn't really realize how accommodating my colleagues would be that I thought it was sort of lip service. But now that most of my the people that work with my company directly and my colleagues in the field know my son. And if I say, you know, I really need to adjust that timer. Can we do it within this window? Because, you know, I need to pick up Oscar from school. Everyone is just fine. People are really great about it. And I have never run into a conflict because I needed to reschedule because of my son's schedule. And I have to remind myself what an amazing gift that is and try and extend that in whatever way I can to other people. Because there are so many people that I know personally who don't have any sort of support like that. And, you know, one thing I don't think a lot of people quite comprehend that happens in Jeremy alluded to this a little bit, like you find these connections in the world of the theater because you're not actors and designers and directors and playwrights are not continuously employed by one company very often. They're having to find work every couple of months and you have to create a complete working relationship as though you've been working together for years in a matter of hours or days so that you can create work together that will affect the audience that it's being created for and so that you can reach them, so you can connect with them. And so you have to fast track a level of intimacy that normally takes months or maybe even years to develop. And why we even have to talk about those relationships involving people's families and their commitments to their families is mind-boggling to me now on the other side of it. It's something I didn't really consider. You know, I was of the mindset, if you're a professional, you leave your family life outside of the work, and that's yours to deal with on the outside of your commitment to the work you're doing with me or for me or or the work that we're doing together for this other company or for my company. And now I realize what a selfish and short-sighted and non-communal attitude that was in a field that is all about being communal, if that makes sense. The most humbling part of parenthood, second only to how much smarter my child is than me, is how not aware I was of how much support I could have offered parents before I was a parent. Yeah, I think those are all fascinating insights. Thanks for sharing those. All right, Lori, I will turn it over to you. Great. Yeah, I really love listening to what you both are saying. And I feel like your words make me and others braver to ask for more supports and to brainstorm ideas of how we can work our children into our daily lives. And so thank you for offering some of those examples. My question for each of you is, and Jeremy, we'll start with you. If you can zoom out a little bit and look at the performing arts industry, are there any changes that are happening within the performing arts that are affecting working parents, even if they're not specifically targeted at working parents? I think that this might sound strange, and it sort of it was brought up by what Jerry was saying, but I actually think that as technology has advanced and our work life 
day and our work day has become non-existent because we're constantly accessible. And so therefore the work day, which in theater was already so strange and long has now become like anyone can text me at whatever hour they want, or they can email me at whatever hour they want or call and expect an immediate answer. I feel like in the same, in the way that that has sort of overtaken how our workday life is, I have, at least I have, and I think others too have sort of went said, well, great, if you're going to interrupt my day whenever you want with work questions, issues, or whatever, then I'm going to interrupt the work-life day with my family. And so I don't know whether that's just me, but I feel like more often than not, I'll just show up somewhere with my kids that I don't know that I would have done that 10 years ago. And they're there. They're in the workplace. I go to a lot of you know, theater load-ins. So they're loading in the scenery and we have to test something. It's not quiet. I'm not bringing them to a place where everyone needs to be super focused and quiet necessarily, although I've done that too. And that's been far more accepted lately that, you know, I'm just going to show up. You know, I'm not showing up with an infant. So I'm showing up with two well-adjusted, hopefully, eight and 10-year-olds who I can say like, hey guys, you got to you have to be quiet for the next like 20 minutes as we're going to do this thing. You're coming with me to a meeting. So it would be great if you, you know, here's a electronic device or here's some paper. Can you do some doodling or even better pay attention, but it's time to be quiet. But I think that's been the biggest change that I've seen is that it's not just me. Other people are just going to show up with their kids. If it doesn't work, if the time that they have to be there just doesn't work or they have childcare issues, my solution is, is occasionally to bring my kids. So that is, I think, the change that I've seen is that theater has, in some cases... Jeremy, it's definitely not just you. As we've been talking to people in other industries, one of the most frequent topics that comes up in this idea around changes in the industry is technology. And I really love how you framed it as if technology is going to invade our lives outside of the you know traditional workspaces, then maybe the converse can be true too. I really love that shift in perspective. Jerry, let's turn it over to you now. What changes do you see happening in the performing arts that are also having an effect on working parents? Well, I echo what Jeremy is saying. I finally had to turn off my notifications at night so that I could just give my brain a rest. And that was a big learning curve for me because I used to not have a problem with that. Like I would just work around the clock and sleep when I wanted to, when I needed to, and do the things I needed to. You know, if I was on a roll with a, writing a grant, for example, or whatever, I would work until it was done, not till I needed to, you know, give my kid a bath, which I think not only people wanting to connect with you at all hours, but the bigger change that I am seeing is that people are giving me, letting you know what their windows are. Like, you cannot text me after 10 p.m. You can't text me before 8 a.m. The problem I actually have now (laughs) is I am sometimes the culprit on the morning ends because my son, no matter what, gets up by 6.15 a.m. no matter what time he goes to sleep. So I'm up and awake and I'm ready to go and he's playing with Legos and I think, oh, I'm going to send a few messages out before I take him where he needs to go and then I realize I have texted a group of actors at 7.15 a.m. And then I have to apologize that I have not realized what time it is. You know, I, it's the blessing and the curse. But I fully respect now in a way that I couldn't when people draw the line and say, you know, I'm having my time now because I understand it differently. I understand that, you know, when I'm not in production, I am unavailable to anyone for any reason between 5 and 8 p.m. Those hours are so precious that when I have them, I need to dedicate them to my son. I don't always have those hours available, but when I do, they're his first. And if I'm going to draw that line, I have to respect that other people need to do it too. And there is an organization, I'm not sure if you all have are aware of this. They're relatively new. They've been around for two years, but they made a huge impact in a small amount of time. It's called the Parent Artists Advocacy League. Their website is PA altheater.com. And what they've done, what they've started doing is recognizing the theater organizations across the country, the theaters, companies, independent producers, 
that implement and advocate for parent-friendly practices. And we were lucky enough to be one of the first companies that they recognized um, nationwide. But if you look, it's showing up frequently, often, and in higher and higher and higher profile media and pieces. And now it's recognition from this organization has become something a lot of people are seeking out because it's one of the, maybe the only thing at this point in time in our profession that is any sort of stamp of approval or recognition that this is a company that sees your whole life as valuable to the work that we might create together. Yeah. Thanks for raising that, Joey. We did actually have Rachel Hewitt, one of the co-founders of PAL, on for the mom episode. Oh, great. Rachel, amazing. Yes. Appreciate your uh, raising that organization here as a great resource for listeners. Yeah. And I think it's something that it's with the bizarre timelines and odd needs that theater inherently requires. If accommodations can be made in our field, frankly, they can be made anywhere. And that's a great template for any profession to follow what this organization is doing. Okay, Jeremy, I'm going to throw this one out to you. And this is a very important question, so make sure you don't get this one wrong, okay? And that is, what is your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I have a best, but I can tell you a practice that I am not smart enough to have come up with, but my wife did, and we've been living by it, especially in the performing arts. So because the schedule is so erratic and because it has been, it's so overwhelming in terms of time consumption, one of the practices that we have started to do as a family is pick a time slot in the year that is substantial. In this particular summer, it will be a full four weeks where I don't work. I turn down work if it happens to come through then. And we pick that well in advance so I know where it is. And I just say, I'm not working. I am not answering my phone. I am not answering email. And we go away as a family for four solid weeks until we're completely sick of each other and everyone's ready for work. (laughs) That's a fantastic practice. I mean, as a follow-on to that, is there a book that you have found particularly helpful that you would recommend to other working parents? God, can you give me two minutes and I'll get back to you on that one? Yeah, well, let me ask you that. The other question, well, I'll give you some time to think about this one. And this will be my last one for you. Is there any app or piece of technology that you would put as number one for helping you function as a working parent? Yeah, it's Google Calendar. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we live, my family lives by the calendar because everything is so erratic. So we have weekly calendar meetings. I feel like we have daily updates on our calendar because I'm doing so many projects at once. My calendar is like a clown vomited on the calendar. (laughs) In terms of the color schemes of this hour is this production, and then I'm going to do three hours here. And the brightest and most visible color is my family calendar and my wife's calendar. So that way I'm at least not messing up when they're asking me, you know, when I'm being asked to like change the schedule midweek, I can say like, absolutely not. These are the sacred hours. So I'm going to honestly say Google Calendar is number one. And the second one is an app called Sitter Studio, which is a New York app where there are a bunch of artists available to babysit. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, well, I'm going to throw it back to you about the book. Is there any, it doesn't have to be the book. Is there any book in particular, or even a current one that you're reading that you found helpful? Oh, I mean, right now on my bedside table is a book called Raising Human Beings, but I haven't started it yet. <laughs> okay, well, I'll take that one. It's in the queue. All right, Jerry, I'm going to turn it to you and ask you the same three questions. The first one, again, can't, don't get this wrong. What's your best piece of advice for new working parents? Oh, geez, that is so hard. Even while Jeremy was talking, I was trying to think of the best response. And I really, honestly, the thing that saved my sanity was I am not a person who accepts help very much. I feel like I can do everything by myself. And it was really humbling to realize I had no idea what I was doing and I needed as much support as possible. And so the best advice I can offer is accept the help that's offered and ask for the help that you need. 
So I don't really have a book, but there is a website that I, and you can sign up to be on the email list and you can get all kinds of worksheets and webinars and such. It's called positiveparentingsolutions.com. And it's, I read everything they send to me because I feel like there are a lot of, for whatever reason, this particular site just speaks directly to the things that matter to me as a parent. And things like the article that I just read yesterday is called Why Do Kids Wine? And just really looking at, it's really a bunch of tools to communicate with children at the age that they are in the way that they can hear you and communicate back with you and not trying to communicate on an adult level. And I need a lot of help with that. So I appreciate greatly. And I look forward to these, the weekly email because without fail, it seems to be the thing I need to work on right then. Now, I will say that there are more things. I'm not, you know, executing them perfectly, but, and some of them go unread and are in my, you know, inbox to read at some point. But I do, I find that it's the best that I have found so far. It just really speaks to me. Uh, Jerry, I don't know that we caught your favorite piece of technology for working parents. Oh, my favorite piece of technology is actually for parents specifically. Well, I actually, we try and limit, like Oscar probably watches an hour of TV a week and maybe he doesn't play any video games at all. And maybe one just every once in a while with my husband, but not enough to be measurable. But what I have discovered since we saw Story Pirates Live about three months ago, is the power of the podcast. And I did not, I was so naive, I didn't even know there were podcasts for kids. But now we have a subscription to about maybe 15 podcasts, and it's what he loves the most. And the amazing thing about podcasts is that I can enjoy them. It's a lot better than listening to news or songs that I suddenly question the lyrics of in the car. Or it's also something that uh, we can have on in the background and we can both enjoy and I can work and he can play. And we're still sort of doing something together. And now he gets super excited every time I get a notification that there's a new episode of the podcast that he's listening to. So even though we don't let him directly engage with technology very much. This is the one thing we've kind of settled on that we all we enjoy together. That's wonderful. You know, I was feeling a little behind the times myself. I think I found out maybe two or three weeks ago that there were podcasts for kids as well. And so this is definitely something high on my radar too. Oh my gosh, you have to listen to Wow in the World. Wow in the World. Okay. It's an NPR kids show. Oh my goodness. It's uh, I can give you all kinds of recommendations now. It's like the focus of my life <laughs> currently. Awesome. Well, definitely uh, feel free to shoot more ideas over to us and we'll include them in the show notes. Thank you, Jerry. I just want to say a big thank you to both of you for this really wonderful and engaging conversation. And also to both of you for using your voice to tell the stories of working parents. I know Tom and I both learned a lot today and I think we've got ideas that we can definitely share across across industries here. Please stay tuned, everyone, for our next month's focus on parents in the tech sector and tech industry. So we look forward to speaking with moms and dads in tech soon. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.